Welcome to Noggin, the Simple Psychology Podcast, where we discuss scientific research in simple and exciting ways that is applicable to everyone. I'm Ben Rasmussen. And I'm McKay Heaton. And we are your hosts. Is there a supreme being? What is the purpose of life? How can I find meaning in suffering? These are examples of questions that many people seek to answer and want to answer, as well as that religion tends to seek to answer. And interestingly, researchers have tried to study these sorts of religious experiences and religious practices to see what kind of benefits they pose. A common practice that many religions have is prayer. And so researchers all across the world have actually studied prayer and its benefits and its effects on humans. And so today we want to talk about prayer, specifically a few studies that have highlighted the physiological benefits of prayer, the benefits that prayer has on your body, which is interesting because, you know, before I looked into research like this, I didn't necessarily think that prayer was going to have a bodily benefit. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you. Yeah, I was also surprised about this when I learned about it as well. One thing to keep in mind as we talk about prayer is the difference between religion and spirituality or the study of religiosity and spirituality. So the practice of prayer is more of a spiritual thing. Many religions have prayer, a lot of them in different forms, but the practice of prayer is inherently a spiritual practice. And we'll hopefully do a future episode on religiosity and spirituality and the different benefits that those have, because the benefits are different. But just keep that in mind as we talk about prayer. It is inherently a spiritual practice, and so it doesn't necessarily need to conform to any sort of particular way that different religions pray. And so in these studies that we're talking about, the way that these people pray can look extremely different from one participant to another. Yeah, and actually in some of the studies, they're instructed to pray in a certain way, just to have some consistency Mm -hmm. throughout the study. But each study, well, not each study, some of the studies use different ways. So in this episode, we don't want to promote any certain religion or promote any form of prayer. We're just talking about the research that has been done on prayer and what benefits have been found. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're not we're not trying to we're not biased in any way. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> we're trying not to be. We are. We <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> are. But we're trying not to be. We're trying to be very, you know, open and just say like this is what the research mm-hmm. you know, part of the research has said about prayer. Right. And and with that though, there are lots of benefits to belonging to a religion and there are very different benefits but still positive benefits to cultivating spirituality so that's what we're going to be talking about is the benefits of prayer not necessarily in the way that i pray or the way that mckay prays but there are benefits to prayer and so we're going to talk about that today yes so this first study is titled an experimental investigation of the relationships among race prayer and pain so this was published in the scandinavian journal of pain I don't know how great that journal is, but it's a journal. <laughs> it's an interesting finding. That's why I wanted to talk about it. Uh, there's a couple, you know, that we're going to talk about down the road that are published in probably better journals, but this is published in 2018. And so in this study, there were 208 college students, and they were divided into three groups. And the first one was active prayer, which means they would say things like, 
God helped me endure the pain in their prayers. And in the second group, there was passive prayer, which they'd say things like, God, take away my pain. And the third group was no prayer. Obviously, they're praying to God. So this is, you know, a bit more Christian. Each participant then completed a cold presser task where they put their non-dominant hand in two degrees Celsius circulating bath water and held it there for as long as they could. So that's that's when they would pray. So they'd stick their hand in this freezing cold water <laughs> and then they would pray or not pray depending on what group they were in and what they said also depended on what group they were in. So this is interesting. Those in the active prayer group kept their hands in the water 30% longer than in the passive prayer group and 26% longer than those in the no prayer group. Interesting. Yeah, so to interpret those results, if you stuck your hand in water, super cold, and you prayed something like, God help me endure the pain, you kept your hand in the water on average, you know, at least 25% longer than those in any other group. The ones in the passive prayer group, they actually didn't do as well as either groups. The passive prayer being God take away my pain, which is interesting. You know, I thought that was very interesting that the content of prayer can actually change how that affects you, Mm -hmm. which I thought was a little enlightening because, you know, I'm religious and I pray and I'm not saying that anyone should or should not pray. I'm just saying I do it and I enjoy it and I feel like I receive a lot of benefits from it. So it helped me think about what do I pray about, you know? Mm -hmm. And, And if you don't pray, you know, what do you think about? If you believe in a higher power, like what are you thinking about towards that higher power? Yeah, and I think this can apply to a lot of different life scenarios. This was just a, a batch of college students that's so not necessarily representative of the entire world. But there are a lot of organizations that include references to a higher power. One that I can think of is AA. So in the prison, part of the program that I am a part of, we spend some time going through a treatment book that is very similar to these principles of AA. They have the same 12 steps. They're just changed a little bit for the population I work with. And throughout the book, there are references to this higher power. And so I think it's interesting that the active prayers were more helpful to the people with their hands in the water than these passive prayers or these no prayers. Because that's how the manual that I work with frames it as well. That's a very active thing you are asking for help so that you can overcome alcoholism or drugs or whatever it is i think that's a a very interesting finding yeah and for those of you who don't know what aa is it's alcoholic anonymous alcoholics anonymous it's just a 12-step program that has helped a lot of people stop drinking Mm -hmm. and and i believe the first step is to accept a higher power Mm -hmm. that's the first step yeah it's it's to turn your will over to your higher power whatever that is and i think that aa and some of these other programs do a really good job of showing the difference between religiosity and spirituality because they use the term higher power so that it can be whatever that person personally believes it's not a subscription to any sort of religion it's just cultivating this idea of spirituality which has lots of benefits yeah. So so that's our first study. Yeah. So for our second paper, this one is called Coping with Racism, the Impact of Prayer on Cardiovascular Reactivity and Post-Stress Recovery in African-American Women. It was published in 2014 in Annals of Behavioral Medicine by Cooper, Thayer, and Waldstein. This paper was really interesting. It's, it, it was a different group than the college students. It was African-American women. And the researchers sought to understand a potential benefit of prayer. 
So there's a lot of research that shows that stress affects us not only mentally, but physically as well. And one specific effect of stress is on the cardiovascular system. So this paper specifically wanted to look at prayer as a potential buffer on the effects of stress on physical health. Specifically, once again, they wanted to look at the relationship between prayer and cardiovascular disease in African-American women, and specifically early cardiovascular disease. So these were young African-American women. Just some context for why they chose this group. African-American women have disproportionately high rates of premature cardiovascular disease, and researchers believe that one factor contributing to premature cardiovascular disease is racism-related stressors. So there's a lot of research that shows the relationship between racial discrimination and higher blood pressure, hypertension, and subclinical coronary heart disease. So these African-American women tend to have more problems with their hearts earlier and some research shows that there's a relationship between negative heart effects and racism. Right. So when we say disproportionately high rates, it means exactly what McKay was saying, that there are more women who have these early signs of cardiovascular disease than we would expect in a particular group. So if you have a national average, African-American women are higher above that than we would expect just based on the fact that they're a woman and other things like that. Researchers attribute some of that variance, some of that difference to racial discrimination. So this sample included 81 non-smoking, healthy African-American women who were self-identified as being African-American with two parents of African descent. They were undergraduates and graduate students of a predominantly white Mid-Atlantic State University. So what the researchers did is they had these participants go through some recall tasks. In preparation for the recall tasks, and by recall task, we just mean they thought of a story and then they were going to tell that story. The participants were asked to identify two experiences from their personal life. So the first one is a general anger-provoking experience that the participant deemed to be non-racial for an anger recall task. And second, a racially-based experience that the participant perceived as racial mistreatment or disrespect called a racism recall task. To ensure that both experiences had sufficient emotional potency for the participants, ratings of how angry or upset they were during each experience had to be greater than or equal to 4 on a scale of 0 to 10, 0 being not at all and 10 being extremely so, using one-item screenings created for this purpose. So basically they thought of one story from their life that made them angry that they didn't think was race-related, and then they thought of a story from their life that they did think was race-related that made them angry. And both of those, on a scale of 1 to 10 of how angry did this make you, they had to be at least a 4 or higher just to make sure they were angry enough. Participants were then hooked up to cardiovascular monitoring equipment in an experimental room where they were left for 15 minutes while they sat in a comfortable chair. So they rested there, they were hooked up, and they had their heart rate monitored as well as their blood pressure. Good thing that chair was comfortable. <laughs> yeah, 15 minutes, holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> so after this rest period, an African-American female experimenter would come in the room and they would complete a three-minute experimental task with the participant. Anger recall, racism recall, and neutral speaking. So between each of these tasks, the experimenter left the room for a five-minute post-stress recovery and rest period and then came back to complete the next task. So just to kind of summarize, they'd sit and rest for 15 minutes. They're hooked up to these machines. An experimenter comes in and they do the anger task, and that takes about three minutes. After that task, they leave for five minutes to kind of hit the reset button because when you get angry, obviously, you're going to get physically animated and things like that. Before they did the next story or recall, they would let them rest for a few minutes to kind of make sure their first anger story wasn't spilling over into their second anger story. Yeah, so then the second story was the racism recall. Mm-hmm. And so they recalled that, and then they rested for five minutes. And, and then they came it. back, and they did the 
neutral story. So there was just they were just telling just a story talking. about whatever. Yeah, and they're just talking. Okay. Basically, what they would do for these recall tasks is they would have one minute to mentally prepare, and then for three minutes straight, they would give a detailed account of the personal experience they had. Participants, after this was done, also completed a test to determine how often they used prayer to cope when they experienced racism in these four domains. First, racism-related statements. Two, racism experienced at work. Three, racism experienced at school. And four, racism experienced in public. So they did these recalls. Then they came out, they did a test, they pretty much just wrote down their answers of how often they used prayer in these different scenarios, these different domains. And the results were very interesting. So first off, 49% of the participants reported using prayer as a coping strategy for at least one type of racism experience. Prayer was most frequently the response to racism at school. So that's just kind of a basic finding they found. About half the participants used prayer as a coping strategy for racism. The anger and racism recall tasks both produced significant physical responses in the participants. They got mad, their heart rate increased, their blood pressure increased for both of these stories. One interesting thing that happened is that the participants' diastolic blood pressure recovered quickly to baseline after the anger recall task, but it took much longer for it to recover when participants went through the racism recall task. So that's kind of just another interesting finding that's not necessarily related to prayer is when they were talking about the racist recall story, it took them longer for their blood pressure to come down than when they were just talking about something that was angry but not race-related. So now here's where the prayer comes in. Prayer was negatively correlated with diastolic blood pressure during and after the racism recall tasks. So what this means is that the more the participants reported praying, the lower their blood pressure was during and after the recall of their racist experience. Prayer was also positively correlated with heart rate variability during the racism recall period recovery. This means that participants who reported praying to cope with racism had greater change in their heart rate during the recovery period than the individual's who did not pray. And that's, at first when I read that, I didn't quite understand, but this is important because heart rate variability decreases during stressful events and increases when there's less stress present. So heart rate variability is just kind of the, the fluctuations of your heart rate in beats per minute. So naturally, when you're sitting there, your heart rate might go from 65 to 66 to 67 and then drop down to 64, 63. And there is more variability when you are in a less stressful situation. So when you're running a marathon, your heart rate might be pretty consistently high, or if you're running from a tiger or confronting a bear, your heart rate is not gonna vary as much as when you were just sitting and eating a, a gallon of ice cream and watching TV. So heart rate variability is somewhat new measure for a stressful situation on your heart. So like Ben said, if, if your heart rate variability is high, that's good for your heart. If your heart rate variability is low, that's not as good for your heart. Yeah. Once again, these participants who reported praying to cope with racism had greater heart variability during the recovery period than the individuals who did not pray. So they were able to return to a healthy state of heart variability faster than those individuals who did not pray, which is interesting. So the researchers concluded that prayer can be an effective method of mitigating the harmful cardiovascular effects of racial stressors in African-American women. So this is a narrow finding. It's pretty specific. Does this apply to other people in other situations? The answer is yes. The researchers cited multiple other studies in their conclusion that found things similar to them in other experiments. Prayer is generally associated with better cardiovascular health. So this was just one 
group of people who experienced something and they were able to cope better with it because of prayer. And there's other studies that have found other groups of people are also able to cope better with these stressors. And so it doesn't have as much of an effect on their heart as it would if they did not pray. So cool. It's so cool how you can study these religious practices and see the real life benefits Mm -hmm. of them. Yeah, for sure. So last semester, I actually wrote a review on the benefits of prayer and just all of the research that I could find on prayer. And I found a bunch of other studies that I think are worth mentioning, not necessarily to talk about a whole episode, but one thing researchers found was that in college age students, reduced alcohol consumption is related to prayer frequency in college students. So if you pray more, you're more likely to drink less alcohol. And that's a big thing for college students. You know, I mean, especially if you want to stop, maybe prayer is something you could try. And that was just purely like they didn't do any manipulation. They just surveyed students and asked, how much do you pray and how much do you drink? So it was just correlational? Yes, it was just correlational. So there was no controlled experiment there. In religious chronic pain subjects, pain tolerance is significantly related to prayer, but pain severity is not, which I thought was interesting. This, I mean, this has a whole paper. They did, they controlled this experiment. So these were religious subjects. We need to keep that in mind is they already believed that prayer was something they wanted to do. They already believed in God, but their pain tolerance was increased when they would pray, but the severity of the pain that they experienced was not. So prayer didn't seem to take away the pain when they experienced it, but it did seem to help them tolerate the pain. Another study, this was a Dutch study, and they had subjects get shocked, like a very, you know, a painful shock, enough, enough of a shock to be like, ow, oh, that really hurt. And they, one group was instructed to pray to someone called Mr. Hansen. They just said, hey, pray to Mr. Hansen for help with the pain. And then the other group was to pray to God for help with the pain. And so those who were in the pray to God condition reduced their perceived pain intensity by 11% and their pain unpleasantness by 26%, which was significantly more pain reduction than the Mr. Hansen group, which is interesting to know. <laughs> yeah, that is really interesting. You know, so, so it's kind of like Alcoholics Anonymous, that uh-huh. first step where it's like, I mean, in this study, they were, they were supposed to pray to God and instead of just a higher power. But I mean, God is a type of higher power. And so it, it's similar to that Alcoholic Anonymous in that a higher power and praying to a higher power or communicating with a higher power shows at least benefits in pain as well as, mm-hmm. I mean, Alcoholics Anonymous has a ton of anecdotal evidence. Right. <laughs> not necessarily, like, just evidence from people doing it, not mm-hmm. necessarily research-backed evidence. I, I think there right. might be some now, though. I don't really know. Yeah, we'd have to look into that. But, yeah, so I, th- I thought that was really interesting that this higher power actually made a difference than just someone named Mr. Hansen. Yeah. I think one key takeaway from this last one, too, is this Mr. Hansen obviously was not meaningful to them, whereas telling them to pray to God was likely meaningful to them. I think that's a key takeaway from the prayer research. Whoever you're praying to, whatever you're praying to, whatever that looks like for you, an important aspect of that is that it is meaningful. So if you are just making things up and you're praying to Mr. Hansen, who you don't believe in, then it's probably not going to be as beneficial to you. It's not, it's not just like the habitual practice of saying things, but it's applying meaning to it that is going to actually benefit you. 
Yeah, that, that's definitely true. In, in the research that I did for my review on prayer, it seemed that those who believed definitely got more of a benefit out of prayer. Mm -hmm. And then there were some experiments where they had believers versus Mm non-believers in in the analysis. And, you know, the non-believers had some benefits, but not nearly as much as those who believed. And so what you said is, you know, what the research has been showing. And, And there's mixed evidence for, like, if prayer actually works. It's still being debated in the field like still a work in progress still a work in progress at at least when it comes to research Mm -hmm. yeah so just a few takeaways as far as putting this into practice prayer can help cope with life stressors so no matter what your spiritual or religious beliefs are the act of prayer however that looks for you can effectively help you cope with pain stress and can help you overcome challenges that you're going through whether that is a change you're trying to make in your life or a situation someone has thrown at you a really good book that i would recommend it's more of a a self-help book it's not one of my prized fiction books sonia lubomirsky in her book the how of happiness recommends that everyone dedicate at least five minutes a day to prayer so this book that she wrote is a positive psychology book and so she talks about lots of different aspects of positive psychology So she recommends praying five minutes a day, whether that is a time to petition God for something or to be thankful for things or to simply be in his presence, as she says, or read a prayer book. You can also pray throughout the day when something stressful happens to you, you can take a minute to pray or when something good happens to you, you can take a minute to pray and be grateful for the good thing that just happened. So those are just a few ideas that Sonia has. She recommends just making prayer a more meaningful part of your day. So whether that's in the morning, in the evening, during the day, before a meal, after a meal, whatever it is, praying for at least five minutes a day, spending at least five minutes a day in prayer, whatever that looks like for you, can have a lot of benefits. Amen, Sonia. I, <laughs> I mean, I'm totally biased because I believe in God and I believe that prayer really helps me. But I mean, she's just a positive psychology expert and she's suggesting that so i'm going to back her and say yeah do what sonia says and pray because i've felt the benefits and i know it helps me a lot and so i know it can help all of you guys in your different situations you have been listening to noggin the simple psychology podcast thank you for listening to our show we really appreciate it we have shared with you only a few articles of the thousands that have been published on this subject Though we wish we could go more in-depth, we hope you've enjoyed our introduction and interpretation of this topic. We don't claim to know everything, but we have shared with you our takeaways from reading this research. I'm McKay. And I'm Ben. And we hope you have a great rest of your day.